Hi everyone and welcome back to The Word at Work. It's great to have you with us again. In today's episode, we're going to be looking at the second half of 2 Samuel chapter 7. You might remember from our previous episode, we were looking at the promise of the kingdom. God makes this incredible promise to King David. David is concerned that there is no house built for the presence of God. God turns around and says to David, that's not the problem. Let me tell you what my big plan is. I want to build a house for you. And of course, he's not talking about a building of bricks and stone. He's talking about a dynasty. Generation after generation from David's line, God promises that he will always raise up a king for his people. In fact, that's how the kingdom of God will finally come in all of its fullness, is that one day God will raise up his forever king from the line of David to rule over his kingdom, which will, of course, eventually fill the whole world. That was the promise of the kingdom. We saw that last episode. The second half of chapter 7 is David's response to this promise. And you'll see there, we pick it up from verse 18. It's a prayer, specifically a prayer of praise. Now, firstly, it's going to be really helpful for us to recognize. We're so used to talking about praise and worship. We're so used to singing our praises to God in church, which of course is a fantastic thing to do. But here we see one of the best and most heartfelt expressions of praise in the whole book of 2 Samuel. And there's not a music note in sight. You don't need music to praise God. Here, David's praise takes the form of his prayer. And there are three things from this prayer that I want us to notice, things that I think will be helpful for us as well. Firstly, praising God humbles David. Praising God humbles David. And you see that straight at the start of the prayer in verse 18. David begins, Who am I, sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me thus far? David, when faced with the awesome promise of God and the future of God's kingdom, realizes that he must stand before God with a humble heart. It puts David in his place. Now, of course, when we say that, we don't mean that in a derogatory way or in a demeaning way. The thing about this prayer is that it just reeks with joy and happiness, with relief and security. You, you can't read this prayer without imagining a smile and wonder break out over David's face. You see, David is humbled, but he's not insecure. And there's a big difference there, isn't there? This is a happy prayer because you really are at peace with the Lord. And to be honest, at peace with yourself, only when you know where you stand with God and the proper way to approach him. And of course, that isn't to puff ourselves up. That isn't to posture as if God owes us something. That is to come to God humbly, recognizing that although our life on earth is for such a brief, brief moment and God's kingdom purposes encompass the whole universe, 
that he would consider us. We've been invited into his kingdom, invited to live under the great rule of his king. David himself feels that and he expresses that really clearly in this prayer. Have a look at verse 20 and 21. He says, What more can David say to you, O Lord? For you know your servant. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. You see, David realizes that God hasn't made a promise to continue the line of kings from David's family because David was an amazing man. God's done it for his own glory and honor. Now, that doesn't make David feel threatened or insignificant or insecure. In fact, quite the opposite. It brings a smile to his face when he realizes that he can let God be God. He can let God do the heavy lifting. And instead, he can play his part as God's instrument in his kingdom. And I think that same kind of relief and that same kind of joy is going to be ours. When we come before the Lord, we come humbly, recognizing that we're more sinful than we ever dreamed, but we're more loved than we could ever imagine, and that there's place in this kingdom for us. That's the first thing. Praising God humbles David. The second thing we can notice from this prayer is that as David praises God, it exalts God to his proper place. You'll see that in verse 22. How great you are, sovereign Lord. There is no one like you and there is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. You see, simply saying praise God isn't actually praising God. I always have a bit of a cheeky grin on my face if I'm listening to Christian music and the chorus just repeats, praise God, praise God, praise God, you people praise God. I'm sure the intentions of the songwriter and the singers are good and I appreciate their heart for the Lord. But simply saying praising God isn't the same thing as actually praising God. Did you notice here that this prayer is full of content, not just full of intention? And the content that fills this prayer is the nature of God's character and the activity of God in the world. You see, when David praises God, he reflects on who God is and what he's done. And it's remembering those things that wells up praise in David's heart. Now, he goes through and he remembers how God rescued them out of Egypt. He remembers how God called Israel to be a people unto himself. And he also remembers what he's just heard, that God has promised that there'll always be a king on David's throne so that God's kingdom will one day come in all its fullness. You see, he remembers who God is and what he's done, and that is the content of his praise. And he reflects it back to God. It stops his praise just being meaningless words, empty words set on repeat. And it actually gives content, depth, foundation to his praise. Now you'll see at the end of verse 22, he says, There is no one like you and there is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. You see, where does David get the understanding of who God is so that he can praise him in the first place? Well, it's by what he's heard about the Lord. And the same is true for you and me. Our praise begins with the gospel that we've heard. You don't have to have been there during those amazing, miraculous events of the Bible. 
to have buy into them so that you can reflect them back to God in praise? Whatever we have heard from God's word is reason to understand who God is and what he's done and the opportunity for us to reflect that back in praise. Thirdly, David prays according to God's promises. David prays according to God's promises. I don't know if you noticed, but there's really only one petition in this prayer. That is, David only asks for one thing. Most of the prayer is David praising God, but there's only one request. It's in verse 25. And now, Lord, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. You might want to argue that verse 29 is part of that request. And now be pleased to bless the house of your servant that it may continue forever. I think 29 is is an extension of the request in verse 25. Only one solid request in this whole prayer. And that is that God would be true to what he's promised. Now this alerts us to something very important. Faith isn't believing that God can do anything. That's not how the Bible defines faith. The Bible defines faith like this. Faith is believing that God will do what he has promised. If you ask God for a brand new Porsche and he doesn't answer that prayer with a yes, you don't have to be disillusioned with God. God's let me down. He didn't answer my prayer. God can't be trusted. What rubbish. Has God ever promised you a Porsche in the pages of his Bible? If he has, then you can expect it. But if not, then we'd be foolish to expect it from the Lord. You can ask him for it. You can ask God for anything. But we can ask with confidence and certainty only for those things that God has explicitly promised. I'll tell you a little personal example of this that has really helped uh, myself uh, and my wife Haley as we've been raising our kids. Uh, a much older and wiser Christian once pointed out to us these few verses from James chapter 1. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. We were talking about this in the context of praying for our kids. And the conversation was, how do you know what to pray for your kids? Often uh, that prayers for our kids can get quite desperate. And in this context, we were talking about praying that God would keep our kids from any hurt or suffering. And this older and wiser Christian man made the point from James chapter 1, that's actually not a helpful prayer to pray. We shouldn't pray that God would protect our kids from every and any uh, hardship and suffering because God's word doesn't promise us that he will keep us from any and every hardship and suffering. What we should be praying, according to James chapter 1, in that in the hardship that our children face, that it would be a testing that develops perseverance so that they may become mature in their faith. And ever since then, Haley and I have prayed for our children according to that promise. We pray, Lord, we pray that in whatever hardship our children encounter today, that you would not use it to crush their faith, but to grow and strengthen their faith so that they can walk with you forever. Now, that is a great prayer. That's a prayer from Scripture. It's a prayer according to God's promise. And that's just one little example of how I've been helped 
by this example of David here in 2 Samuel chapter 7. David always prays according to God's promise. Well, in finishing up our reflections on this prayer of David's today, I want to finish by just pointing out one more thing. David prays big. Did you notice that? Have a look in verse 27. Lord Almighty, God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. So now your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. David has courage to pray big. He's not just praying for his own kingship or even that of his son. He's praying that God's promise over generations would remain and come to fulfillment in his one true king who will finally usher in the kingdom of God in all its fullness. What a massive prayer. That's a prayer that spans millennia. That's a prayer that reaches out not just across the whole world, but into the whole universe. It's a prayer, it's a prayer rather, for the very end of time. David prays big. And he has the confidence and courage to pray big because he knows what God wants. And he's walking in step with that. Now, think to the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer opens with big, big petitions, doesn't it? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, that is a prayer for the return of Jesus and the restoration of justice and righteousness in a kingdom that will never end. What a big prayer. My prayers are so small by comparison. What about yours? There's nothing wrong with bringing your shopping list of concerns for God. He loves you. He knows you. He wants you to come to him with every little thing. But let's not forget to pray for the big things too. David's prayer of praise is only as big as the promises of God. And so therefore it is very, very big. David doesn't hold back in his prayer because God doesn't hold back in his promises. Friends, I hope that encourages you in your prayers this week. And I hope we can learn from David here so that like him, we will also pray every day that the kingdom will come. Thanks for joining us today. To read ahead for the next episode, make sure you cover chapter 8, 2 Samuel chapter 8. And we'll see you then. Mm-hmm.